This is the CSP Newscast produced by Physio Matters. I'm Jack Chew. This is a two-part episode. First part being a thorough discussion about the adaptations that are needing to be made for students in education and followed by a closing remarks from Alex McKenzie, the CSP Chair of Council, giving thanks to the profession, what the organisation has done to adapt and also looking forward to the future. Delighted to be here today for CSP newscast number six and funnily enough talking about one of my favourite topics which is education and especially the sort of need for a, a diversity of different styles within education in these very strange and unprecedented times as we face the coronavirus crisis together. I'm delighted to be joined by a variety of different people here from different parts of the sector including the CSP and beyond. And so, first and foremost, I want to invite Nina Patterson, who is the CSP Education Advisor. Nina, thank you for joining us. And could you give us a bit of context as to what we're going to be discussing today in terms of education? Yeah, thanks, Jack. Um, So we're really going to be talking about how placements have changed as a result of coronavirus, or actually how they haven't changed as a result of coronavirus, because I think it's probably important to say that while, um, while things have been rapidly shifting, um, over these past six weeks, whether we're talking services or education and the way it's delivered, um, the one thing that hasn't changed is the needs for students to be out there and practising. Um, so while we've seen um, some very quick responses from HE, Health Education Improvement Wales, um, NESS in Scotland, um, we, we've seen a four-country um, response which has um, pretty much been fairly unified with the expectation that students should still be out there. What we have seen is probably a shift in how placements are being termed and the fact that we're looking for students either to be on the temporary register if they're they're at the end of their programmes or we're looking at students being in what are being termed now paid placements. So them looking to have a contract, um, um, an employment contract uh, alongside um, their learning, which I think is the thing that's different. and we've certainly been having lots of conversations across the across the board about how to manage that. But I think um, it's really important to say that actually these placements, while they may superficially seem quite quite different and the experiences may seem quite different, they're still focused on the things that all placements need to be focused on, which is the patient and the population at the centre, student experience, and the quality of that student experience. And I think what this has done um while um while nobody particularly wanted to be in the middle of a pandemic but i think what this has really done is is shown the creativity and the acceleration of the creativity that the physiotherapy services and providers um and the education providers have been um have been moving towards anyway so this for me is really part of a, a wider culture shift in terms of thinking differently and creatively about what we what we call a placement and what we deem a placement. And I, I'm really excited to be here with, with two of my colleagues from the University of Worcester, because I think their programme has exemplified that. And this is this is not a new thing. It's not a new thing for them. Um, and this is certainly something that I think, um, while it's accelerating UK-wide, I think that there are lots of excellent examples of universities that are already thinking differently about contemporary practice. 
Talking of examples, no, that sounds perfect for me to bring in Helen Frank, who's the head of department of physiotherapy, OT and nutritional therapy at the University of Worcester. Thanks for joining us, Helen. Could you tell Thank us you. a little bit about this as an example then and what that means in practice? Yeah, absolutely. Um, thanks for asking us to take part in this podcast. Um, we have been um, delivering our physiotherapy and occupational therapy completely in parallel since 2013 and I think because we were a brand new um, provision at the university for PT and OT it was a great opportunity for us to think differently right from the outset and I think our philosophy at the university has been completely shared practice right from the beginning so when we first started looking at um, providing placements we obviously looked in the traditional settings. We looked in our locally to our NHS partners, but we were non-commissioned at the time, which meant that we were also having to make sure that our placements didn't um, cause any problems with our other local HEIs. So it, it made us think quite differently right from the beginning. And I think one of our, our biggest um, opportunities was to think about how we can deliver our placements differently and I think one of the biggest um, influences was actually our complete collaborative working with our occupational therapy colleagues and Terry my colleague who's um, the, the, the practice education lead for physio and OT is actually an occupational therapist and I think we learned an awful lot from our, um, our OT colleagues in terms of thinking about where we should be looking to, to to deliver our education opportunities and I think we thought much more broadly about exactly what Nina just said, that we wanted to look at where people were in the population. We didn't necessarily want to think about the core placements because we know that that as a philosophy has been outdated for a long time. But we knew that we needed to make sure that our students still gained the, 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 the opportunities and the experiences that enabled them to practice as competent and as, as, as reflective physiotherapists. So I think certainly our, our OT colleagues were, were instrumental in helping us think broadly. And what did the placements sort of can we can we map one out then just sort of think about what does it look like, behave like, what are the mechanisms at play and, and how's that different? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I'm, I'm going to bring in um, my colleague Terry, actually, because Terry's been part of that instrumental sort of philosophy shift at, at the university. Um, and I know she's got lots of experiences that she can share with us in terms of how our physio placements have looked differently. Um, Perfect. No, that, that sounds great. So allow me, to, allow me to introduce Terry Grant, who's the practice education lead for occupational therapy and physiotherapy at the University of Worcester. So Terry, would you like to uh, comment on, on how that's been constructed? Yeah, thank you. Um, I think what we've been doing at University of Worcester is looking at, um, you know, as Helen and Nina have both said, places where people are, where physiotherapy students might be able to add value to, to those people's lives. So it's not necessarily focusing solely on where people are accessing healthcare, but it's also focusing on areas where maybe people are not accessing healthcare or maybe they're, they're accessing sort of different services. So we've got a variety of um, placement opportunities they've included um, quite a few opportunities within care homes where students have been working um, in care homes but where there isn't actually a physiotherapist employed by the care home so they're getting their support remotely um, from a professional perspective and they're getting support on site from other professionals um, at the same time so care homes day centers um, we've had some placements within a housing association where physiotherapy students have been working alongside occupational therapy students to improve the quality of life of residents living in that particular organisation. Um, 
There have been some setups within mental health. We've certainly got one within horticulture where we've had quite a few um, physiotherapy students have successfully joined in um, to a placement that has previously been primarily occupational therapy uh, led and have really brought a different dimension to the service as well so not only are there opportunities for physiotherapy learning it's also about opportunities for integrated practice and actually making the service that exists better by incorporating some physiotherapy from a student level in there as well. I think that's one of the things that I'd love to hear all of your thoughts on really is that people need to really understand the movement towards diversifying the types of offering that student placements were already moving in the direction of so that these things, these provisions are not sort of really hugely compromised learning experiences. They are often going to be at least imperative, but often more enriching uh, because of the way in which they're going to need to be more versatile than they would have been otherwise. And it's just sort of seen said accelerated a process that was already taking place. I wonder if I could bring you in, Tamsin Baird, who's the CSP professional advisor. Uh, Tamsin, I just wondered if you uh, would maybe pass comment on on that in terms of this model. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Jack. Um, so I think to produce the exciting expansion in the physio workforce with the, with the new and emerging roles that are coming, um, practice-based learning, as we've said, must grow with this. Now, this is only part of it because, yet yeah, we absolutely need to develop and evaluate clinical placement models that increase the placement capacity, but also placements need to be cost-effective, efficient, and really importantly, they need to instill a positive learning culture. So, yeah, we're we're aware of the um, impact on the clinical learning environment on students' engagement and their retention. Um, And we know that physios have a really strong sense of their future selves and a self-belief in becoming a physiotherapist. When we ask students about what's important for them on clinical placement, they really value that they are a part of the team and not simply referred to as the student. They um, value well-defined support structure and clear expectations and responsibilities as well. Something else that they're fed back is that they really enjoy peer learning and the development opportunities that this offers. And within a lot of the models um, of of clinical placement that are emerging, this does involve um, some elements of peer learning, whether that be learning from other students or learning from um, physiotherapists or other members of the MDT who are maybe not their clinical educator. One of the things I just wanted to make sure we covered over with you, Nina, if if we could just talk a little bit about the governance structures and especially with regards to these employment contracts that students are going on to, is the, I understand the the need to to further protect members? I think it's, um, I think it's fair to say that um, initially when all of this started, we were hoping that the placements might continue uh, as they've, as they've always continued. And I think there were so many services who stepped up and said they were still willing to take placements, but it became quite clear quite quickly that we needed to take some time to pause, step back and reflect. And I think that's what the um, that's what the four country guidance did. Um, and it was particularly in light of the fact that, um, that there was an unfortunate incident, I, I think that highlighted it with, with a student nurse who unfortunately died while she was out on placement that 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 made um, that made um, HEE and the, the other three countries um, take a step back and think about how do we protect students while we're out there recognising that student placement experience is absolutely essential. 
So the idea for the for the paid placements or the the employment contracts just gives just gives students the um, the additional security. They are then uh, an employee and they have all of the rights that an employee would have. And that's not to say that they wouldn't necessarily have them as a student. But I think this puts it into a firm contract that a student is um, that that learner is out there and is entitled to all of the protection PPE and will be treated in the same way that any other employee would be. And while it's um, while it's not particularly a nice thing to talk about, it does mean that the students that are out there are covered by um, a death in service benefit, which while we absolutely hope is never going to be necessary within the physio student community, it does mean that the families um, the, the families are are protected as a result of um, the students being out on placement. Absolutely, no, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Now, I wonder if we can then open the discussion around the opportunities that knock and the creativity that's going to be required on this. Um, so, I wonder if any of you could could come in on on that and and, and give you give your take as to as to how that's going to look. Can I give you an example from the one of our local trusts um, who? Um, you have really stepped up to the plate and offered us lots of extra student placements that we weren't planning on um, on having with them. So what they have done is incorporated students into the um, into the care team. So on a, an inpatient unit, they have um, four students all together. They are joining the ward at about seven o'clock in the morning. So they're part of the ward handover. They're hearing what's gone on overnight. They're picking up on, um, on what's been happening. And then they're working throughout the day, um, largely alongside healthcare assistants. And their role is to look for opportunities for therapeutic activity. So while they are working alongside the HCAs, they are having conversations about transfers, about mobility, um, about equipment, about footwear, all those sorts of things during their sort of day-to-day -day practice with the HCAs. They are also, they're on a unit where there are therapists, so they have opportunities as well to um, pop in, if you like, and carry out a particular assessment or a particular intervention, um, as well as working out how they can incorporate things into, into daily practice. Um, and then what this trust have decided to do is they're having group supervision on a weekly basis with all of their students. And then they're also having a WebEx call at the end of the week um, with one of their senior leads who is supporting the educators and the students together to make sure that they're making the most of the placement. And what's happening is that they're getting lots of unusual opportunities that they wouldn't get to really focus on actually what does it mean to, to look at the lives of people who are currently inpatients and what they need from um, from their physiotherapists so they're having opportunities to work with people they wouldn't usually have they're getting to know people in a way that they perhaps wouldn't always have the opportunity to do um, in some settings um, and they're, they're obviously taking advantage of as many opportunities as they can while they're there to, to broaden their learning in a way that we would hope students would always do on a ward but actually with a little bit more opportunity perhaps um, than they usually get so as an example because patients are not receiving visitors at the moment, there's a lot more time from um, a patient's perspective where they don't have any kind of activity going on during the day, where maybe they are actually a little bit happier to engage with something that is therapeutic, but is also helping them to maintain their sort of social uh, integration as well. I just wanted to add really that the philosophy that we, we, we've always had at Worcester has, has been to try to expand our placement capacity, but also to try 
expand on the experiences that students have had. Um, and actually, this this philosophy that, that that our local trust have been incredibly supportive of in the last in the last few weeks actually builds on some of our experiences that we've used um, over the last sort of three or four years. Um, and as well as it being a very um, novel practice in terms of things like having group supervision, using a real coaching philosophy, that's something that we've actually used in much more traditional placements. We had um, one of our local acute trusts um, set up a four to one model I think it was four to one it might have been six to one when it very first started with physiotherapy students managing um, a single bay in a in a trauma and orthopedic ward with with one practice educator and they used <clears throat> a model that we use at Worcester called student coaching in practice which is um, similar to the um, the clip model which was which was used um, a few years ago and it's, it's one that we've adapted at, at the university but it meant that students again were having their having a lot of experience of being quite autonomous with one educator but taking over the whole of the care in terms of physiotherapy for all of the patients which meant that they were doing very similar things to what Terry's explained just now they were having a lot more time with the with the patients they were responsible for an entire bay and the educators told us that even though it was quite um sort of um, front-loaded and, and quite heavy in terms of the induction and in terms of the um, establishing the, the, the caseload, the assessment, the treatment, the clinical reasoning at the beginning of the placement. This really reduced as the placement went on where the students developed their own increasing autonomy. And I think from our perspective as well, we know that um, we, we did evaluate this. One of my, um, a, a student who, who was doing her master's with us evaluated the the, the the professional perspective from the educators and the nurses and it was hugely positive um from all involved and i think the educators found that actually the students were very very effective once they'd got going and they were able to work with each other again looking at peer learning but also really thinking about their their own professional identity and what their role was as a student and we know that students want to practice they want to be given opportunities to learn so these these philosophies can can happen in very traditional settings like on an orthopedic ward but they can also be working in in the situation now where we're finding with dealing with patients that have that have have had um that have had covid and now recovering so i think we're using the same philosophy of trying to encourage students to develop their professional identity through experience. I think something that our educators tell us as well when um, when they have these experiences is that actually at the beginning they are most worried about how the students are going to feel about the experience and once the students get started and they um, they get to see that the students are actually getting a really great learning opportunity then they relax and then it becomes a little bit easier so I think making that switch from the traditional one-to-one model that we're all so familiar with and that many of us will have had you know as we've been through our own education is quite tricky to suddenly working out that actually I can do this more effectively and in some respects the students can get you know an enhanced learning opportunity by having those peer peer learning conversations um, the opportunities for them to work things out maybe in pairs or in, in small groups um, the opportunity for them to pull on the knowledge that they have got and also to have confidence in being able to say actually I'm not sure about that no none of us are sure about that so it's not me that doesn't know something that I should it's actually about the fact that we need a little bit of support here you know that's a really great way to encourage students and to to enable them to actually continue to take responsibility for their own learning opportunities 
So although it feels a bit scary at first to move sort of outside what's normal to us, actually it doesn't take very long before educators start to, to recognise that it, it's a better, for them it can be a better model of doing things. I think the the whole, um, even though this is a, you know, a, an awful opportunity in a lot of ways because none of us wanted, you know, COVID to happen, but because we know that students actually can um be an integral part of a team and can very quickly establish themselves in a team they can get on with work they can take responsibility for for tasks that they've been given to do they can identify um, opportunities for them to learn I think it's shown that the students now we've sent them out on placement they're able to use all these skills very very quickly to establish themselves within teams and I think because the students are within these teams and they've been considered as part of teams right from the beginning we're hoping that the the practice education um that our practice education partners will see that these students are completely integral to care and that if we can have that same thought that actually students are a very very valued and a very important part of physiotherapy practice and within the AHP team that they can continue to have a really important role which I think will will improve their own professional identity and improve their own their own competence in practice because they are giving being given opportunities to to actually do things that they're seeing their practice educators having to do at the moment they're seeing that the people that they're working with may have been x number of weeks ago physiotherapies working in an outpatient department in a um, in, in, in a community hospital or working in mental health services or working in pediatrics and their, so their practice educators are also staff who've had to quickly go into a new area, have had to quickly upskill, have had to quickly gain these new experiences. So the students are seeing that they're doing the same things that their practice educators are and that they're able to develop these skills very, very quickly and very competently to work alongside their, their soon-to-be peers because they're, you know, they're very soon to be qualified. It's uh, certainly a, an impressive time to do a proof of concept exercise, but it's certainly one that's happening in real time. And as long as it's evaluated sensibly, then this really could be the opportunity that needed to knock in order for people to uh, appropriately liberalise the system in enough to, terms to, to make sure that we've got that variety that we wanted and, and to talk about. What I wanted to make sure we cover, though, is that this, regardless of what's happening in practice and, and the, the, um, the circumstances that surrounds that individual placement, that then does need to interface within someone's degree. And therefore, yeah. Tamsin, I wanted to just bring you in with regards to the way in which a common placement form could support this model. Yeah, thank you, Jack. Um, as we're all aware, one of the barriers to, to student placements is a lack of consistent and standardised assessment form that can be used um, irrespective of the placement or the university in which the student belongs. Um, and we're faced with interesting times. With, with, um, during the crisis, these students are likely to be geographically dispersed. So some will um, no longer be living close to their university location and healthcare organisations are going to be faced with students from different universities. And with these, with these students comes different placement assessment paperwork and different learning outcomes. And sometimes this can just be another barrier and add to the burden that's sometimes perceived as taking students. So this current opportunity is um, this current situation has really offered us an opportunity to develop a national 
common assessment form that can be used for our students out in practice. So what we're hoping is that as well as it reducing barriers for new and established um, clinical sites to take students from different universities, we're also offering that it, 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 all, it offers a parity of placement assessment with the same learning outcomes, irrespective of what your, your university. Um, we've heard, um, as we've heard um, for, from the guys at the University of Worcester, um, universities and placement organisations are really needing to think creatively to increase this placement capacity. Um, and to provide clinical, clinical work that, as you say, needs to achieve both the students' professional behaviours and responsibilities, as well as be a really meaningful learning experience. Um, and as a result, we're likely to see a lot more of these different placement areas and models emerge. So the learning outcomes in the common assessment form are specifically broad in nature to be really inclusive of these different learning settings and the different learning environments, the different models of placement and also the different methods of supervision, whether that's long arm supervision, um, whether it's face to face, whether it's remote um, and exactly who's involved with that. So. Because of this, there's a, there's, um, when the form's picked up, it needs to really be applied in the context of the placement setting. So we're sticking to professional behaviours and responsibilities absolutely being assessed. But then the learning outcomes be coming under the categories of personal development, communication and interpersonal skills, and problem solving, critical thinking and decision making as the core skills of physios that could be used in an assessment form irrespective of the uni and irrespective of the setting. Oh, fantastic. And, and I definitely want to, uh, to hear from the others then as to how that format is going to support and underpin the work that then gets done and applied in practice. I think it will make things a lot easier for universities, actually, as well as for the, the clinicians who are supporting practice. Because, you know, as, as Tamsin rightly said, one of the challenges that faces our educators is that maybe they have moved geographically um, and they have come from one area where they're very familiar with supporting students to an area that tends to take students from a different university and they feel like they really need to go back to square one to be able to take students from a different university, which really strikes me as quite ridiculous that we have set ourselves up to be so diverse and to have such very different learning outcomes that it makes it so difficult for clinicians to do. So I think that um, yeah, common assessment documentation will make life a lot easier for, for all involved. And I think there is also something about making sure that that the learning outcomes are broad and can be applied everywhere because we know that physiotherapists work in massively diverse areas and in diverse manners. And that's what's happening in normal practice. We're seeing it at the moment in relation to COVID where some clinicians are moving um, and being redeployed to different areas or they're being deployed into areas where they're now doing remote assessment for the first time, maybe over something like Zoom, maybe over the telephone. All those skills need to be able to be captured because they're all physiotherapy. I think it's worth saying that um, we'd started working on the started working on the form prior to prior to COVID. We actually accelerated it because of the situation, but we've certainly hear, heard from from students, clinicians, managers. There was a big drive right across the profession, and the universities themselves signed up to this. So this is something that um, we've been talking about, and people have been been asking for 
for, for a, a number of years. And I think now we absolutely recognise that the need, as Tamsin said, with, with students being being so geographically spread and um, just because they, they've had to go home and they may well be taking up their, their paid placement somewhere that's not close to the university. So we've moved it forward at pace, but this absolutely has been grounded in some, some good solid work to get it there. I think um, if I can just bring in um, the work for, with the AHP councils as well, sort of over the last uh, six months or so, I think that's been also really important in terms of us identifying what the barriers are to establishing um, greater placement capacity. So we've been working really closely with our AHP council and within, and we also got uh, funding for one of the AHP faculties. And our focus in Herefordshire and Worcestershire was purely about increasing placement capacity, particularly within the NHS, because we have fantastic support from our practice partners. And we have a really wide variety of very traditional, very normal, but also very, very contemporary roles. And I think one of the biggest barriers was, was often about having different types of paperwork and different practice educator training and different responsibilities from different places. And we've, we've been having placements down in Gloucestershire. We've got placements, I think, this time in Wiltshire. We've got students down in places as far as, as, as Dorset. So I think we're having to make sure, you know, and the placement team have done an, a brilliant job to make sure that the educators are all happy using our documentation, but having a a, a common assessment form I think would reduce a lot of those barriers because it we know how hard it is for practice educators to have to work between two or three sometimes four different types of documentation and also go to different you know have responsibilities for time for them to go on different practice educator training sessions if we can have things that are done much more centrally but with interpretation to allow us to make sure that our students are still achieving the learning outcomes which we know are necessary of a, of a, of a student and then a qualified physiotherapist um, it means that there's an awful lot more flexibility for students to gain placements in different areas of the countries which we know that you know this this may change after covid as well we might have students that are wanting to take placements more more local to them and this will be one of the barriers that we can certainly remove by having having a set of, of, of national um, learning outcomes. Although these are challenging times, we definitely need to not miss the opportunity to evaluate, especially new processes and new projects. Tamsin, how is this process we've just heard about being evaluated? Yeah, absolutely. So, so for those who do choose to use the common placement assessment form, we absolutely see the need of capturing some data and some evidence as to a couple of reasons, really. Firstly, how the placements look at this current time. So what models and what settings have been employed, but also capturing some overall feedback from the students with regards to how effective and how satisfied they've been with those models. And the hope is that this gives us some really tangible data to be able to look back on and build service provision going forwards. Fantastic. And one of the things that's so interesting of this of this period of time, as, as, as tragic as it's been in many ways, is that the, the disruption across the board in every single corner of every single sector does mean that something like this, which was already a work in progress in many ways, and something that many people, yourselves included, have been trying to bang the drum for, this style of movement reform, um, I think 
essentially the fact that everything else is disrupted means that this feels like it's less over less of an overt challenge to practice less of an overt challenge to the, the status quo because everything else is up in the air and so i'm really pleased to hear that that's being weaved into these new changes and also that this proof of concept could be the phoenix that rises from these ashes in many ways so thank you so much tamsin baird nina patterson helen frank and terry grant thanks jack thank, thank you, you. Thank Delighted to be here with Alex McKenzie, Chair of Council for the CSP. And so thank you for joining us, Alex, on this sixth uh, CSP newscast. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here, Jack. Fantastic. So I wanted to talk to you in, in a bit of an overview sense, really, as to what's been going on in these, these mad times. Uh, and, and so I wonder what your thoughts were in terms of the response of the profession, first and foremost. Oh, I mean, the profession has just uh, responded in the most amazing way, I think, uh, throughout this crisis, right from the beginning. Uh, there was so much uh, adaptability, flexibility. We saw um, people immediately taking on very senior roles um, in terms of uh running services in terms of some of the new hospitals uh we've seen people move from their areas uh, of practice into different areas people moving out of their comfort zone um we've seen private practitioners signing up to work in the nhs we've had returners to practice um the final year students that have all stepped up and come into the workforce early uh we've had the other year students uh, who've taken on support worker roles, um, just an amazing um, response from our profession. Um, we've seen support workers taking on leadership roles in their areas. Uh, all in all, I have to say it's been an amazing, amazing response from our profession. Um, it's kind of what we what we are, um, but it's so great to have seen that. I think it's interesting because at the core of what we do clinically and and what is almost in the in the in the heart of the profession is that adaptability, creativity, versatility. Um, but but we all almost would when it ha when things like this happen, you cross your fingers that we're we're going to step up, and it's great that we are. Yeah, I mean, we all talk about transferable skills, um, and I think um, that has just demonstrated. Uh, exactly that um i mean we people are out with their comfort zone but they're using those basic skills that we have the ability to assess the ability um to uh to do the right thing by the patient um and that is what has has seen us through this um in terms of the new roles people doing different things people doing things out with physio as well um but all in the um that went there no, we've seen people do things uh, out with their, their normal area, not even within physio. And it's all about uh, what's best for the patient. And I think that's been at the heart of everything that uh, we've seen the profession do, um, including, you know, people moving into areas they never thought they would work in. But they're doing that because that's what our patients need. Absolutely. And uh, the, the word unprecedented has been used an unprecedented amount of times, um, including on this show. But it, it really is. And it's been it's been great to see uh, physiotherapy adapt so quickly, not only the profession, but also the systems that, that underpin all that we do and also the systems that needed to change and adjust and adapt at the CSP 
how pleased have you been with the way in which the organization itself has been able to adapt well again i mean i think the organization has um uh changed in a way that uh we wouldn't necessarily have have expected in in normal times um from the start when the decision was taken to move them all to home working before lockdown occurred meant the systems were in place um to allow uh csp staff to support members um throughout the whole process and i think what they've done as well has been um amazing uh there's been a lot of communication um what the csp have tried to do is to collate an awful lot of that information to make it available in one place for members so they've got a one one stop shop for going and and finding out the most recent information website web pages were being updated several times through the day whenever something new came on there was no kind of lag it was all happening there and then we had staff working over the weekends in those initial phases to provide support for members um because members were asking questions every day several times every day um huge numbers of queries were coming through and because members were now working much much more at the weekends as well the staff took on that role as well so for several weekends we had staff supporting uh members um both through the phone through email um and until that initial um first sort of phase of really trying to work out what on earth we're doing sort of um calm down a little bit what the csp has also done is absolutely increase its amount of lobbying that it's been doing obviously there's been the issue of ppe um and that's been quite a um a difficult one for members and uh csp staff working with colleagues in tuc and other organizations um have been really pushing for appropriate ppe for the aerosol generator procedures so the chest physio to become an aerosol generator procedure for all sorts of different um uh problems around the the sort of ppe to try and lobby and and get the best for our members um looking at the health and safety aspect um but also in terms of lobbying as well there's um the other side of that in terms of our private practitioners um because with that uh, a lot of them obviously aren't working at the moment um and there's a financial issue with that and we have been lobbying quite hard in terms of trying to ensure that some appropriate financial support is given to those members so that as and when we can return to uh, a more normal practice that um that these practices are still viable and that there is still um an option for them to be able to return to what they were doing there's so many different elements to that isn't there with regards to member support lobbying for different issues especially with safety being a paramount importance as well as the way in which different different the, the way that the media landscape means that these things sort of wax and wane in terms of public consciousness and you've got to time things right how is the uh, you know the, the the joining that up in terms of strategy is, is that that must have been a real challenge yes i mean that that is a real challenge um and and it's quite difficult i think as well because so much goes on uh behind closed doors as such you know and particularly when you talk about lobbying um and what the csp has been trying to do is both support members and inform members of how and what is changing and being done but at the same time a certain amount of lobbying takes place not in the public domain and i think it's quite hard sometimes for members to see what's going on um but you know it has been going on and it is still going on and i think that that's kind of the key thing with this is you know just because things have calmed a bit does not mean that 
the hard work isn't still going on. Uh, there are still meetings happening. There's still uh, connections being made. Um, there's still an awful lot that isn't quite right. Um, and therefore, the CSP staff are still working on all these issues um, in terms of trying to get appropriate resolution, um, whether it is the PPE, which, um, you know, there are still issues with that, particularly for our members um, who have concerns, not so much with those who are um, in uh, the sort of COVID positive and uh, highly dependent stage, but much more the sort of community rehab concerns where some people say one thing, people are still coughing. There's there's all sorts of concerns out there. Um, and the CSP is still working to try and make sure that we get the best outcome for our members um, so that they can stay fit and well to treat all these patients. Absolutely. And obviously we, we, we're speaking now fourth of may we're certainly in the, still in the thick of things in many ways we can't we, we can't talk in reflection of what was really what what is still to come and, and what what is the csp up to at the moment well i think the one thing that everyone is recognizing now is the massive rehab need um that is going to be there from the covid patients um uh, but this actually sort of aligns itself to what the csp was working on before covid became a problem of the massive uh, rehab need, unmet rehab need that we've got out there uh, in the population. We know that um, ongoing rehab, particularly community rehab, has been poorly funded um, in the past. And part of the campaign the CSP had started before COVID about the right to rehab was linking with a lot of other organisations um, to try and highlight that unmet rehab need. Now, when you add in the number of patients who've had COVID who are going to need significant uh, longer term rehab, uh, there's a massive cohort of people requiring rehab out there. And that's the thing that we need to address next. And that is where a lot of our lobbying is going to be, uh, well, has started and, and will be doing, is about meeting that rehab need, whether the person's had COVID or, or not. Absolutely. No, it's uh, it's fascinating to, to, to see how that goes on. Um, hugely complex work. And so thank you for thank you for coming on and, and sharing that with us and, and sharing your thanks to the wider profession as well as the organisation. Is there anything else you'd like to add at the moment, Alex? No, I think I mean, I've just been blown away, uh, as I said before, about the CSP, its members, its staff, um, uh, their adaptability and uh, you know, can't say thanks enough to everybody who's played their part um, because, you know, we have a fabulous profession and it's been so amazing to see how well it stepped up. Yeah, no, I, I can certainly uh, certainly agree with that. And I think many would would see that. And uh, and I think when when the analysis does start to take place in, in the months to come, I think that will become ever clearer as to the fact that uh, the adaptability, the versatility, all the other things we talked about on, on just now is going to come clear and, and, and physiotherapy's flag has, has risen once again, I think. Thank you. Nice one. Take care.